Yeah, you got to get out of the way because I'll trip over it because we all know that I stand in one place for it, don't I? Hallelujah! Good morning. It's good to have you all here again. Do we have any other kids that wanted to go back that didn't get there? All right. Pray you carry away. Let's pray. I pray, Sam, Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord, and your blessings and your anointing, Lord, upon this service, Lord, and upon this message. We ask, Lord, to open the hearts of your people to receive it, Lord. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. amen. Now, how many know what amen means? It means you're agreeing with what I said, and you're saying, so be it. I reminded the king and the king and I, I don't know if you've ever seen this in an old movie, it says, the king said, so let it be written, so let it be done. That's kind of what you're saying. <laughs> anyway, glad to have you here. And now today we're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is our, what is it, number is this? I think this is our seventh, part seven of the series, or part eight. I don't know. But anyway, this is going to be the last beatitude that we're going to talk about is this morning. Now, we're not done with the series, but this is the last beatitude that we're going to talk about. And uh, the beatitudes are beatitudes. They are attitudes we're supposed to have as believers. And we will have them as we, when we accept Christ as our Savior. Now, everything doesn't happen to you all at once. I'd like it to happen that way. I'd like, wish it could happen that way. It'd be so much easier, but it isn't. When we become a believer, we just automatically don't have everything under, uh, in our lives all straightened out. There's some things that we struggle with. And so Jesus gives us a progression. We accept him, which is a... Well, put, put the first slide up, will you? Shane, and thank you for being up there. appreciate you. Now I'm going to review these. This is going to be the last time I'm going to review them unless God wants me to review them again somewhere else. But these are the, the Beatitudes. And we kind of look at them and we think, oh man, this is great. They are so nice. I love the Beatitudes. Oh, blessed. I love being blessed. Now these are mean blessed or blessed. You know, when we say blessed, it sounds holier than blessed, don't it? Blessed. <laughs> blessed. This means kind of like happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now the poor in spirit are people when they finally realize that they're lost. That's the hardest thing. I've told you over and over again. The hardest thing we can do for people that we want saved is get them to realize they're lost. Because they think they got it all made and that God grades on a curve and it doesn't matter what you do because God, we are God's little darlings and he's going to let us in because I'm so cute. I just got to smile at God and he's going to let me in. No, he won't. <laughs> we have to realize that we're lost. Now after we're lost, then we come to the second beatitude. And it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for the things God mourns for. And what does God mourn over? He mourns over sin. So we look at our lives and we realize we're sinners and then we realize we can't save ourselves. And the only way we can be saved is by coming to him and realizing he died on the cross for our sin. And then we accept that. And then our life changes at that point. And we become a new creation. If you're not a new creation, you're not saved. Now I'm not saying that all the changes in our life are going to be great. Our lives changed like that because we were worse sinners than you were. And my son can testify to that. <laughs> and I can testify that about him, too. So, but we will be a new creation. Our ideas, our attitudes change. All of a sudden, the things that we used to want to do, we don't want to do anymore. We may struggle with some things, but I don't want to do those things. And all of a sudden, we want to come to church. I know a friend of ours that uh, we were trying to, I was trying to lead to the Lord when I first got saved, and I became an outsider to our group. <laughs> He said, man, why do you have to always go to church? 
And I didn't even think about it. It just came out of my mouth, which sometimes happens. Sometimes it's good. God's doing, doing a better job in my, with my mouth than he used to be. And I said, I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. You know? The world out there trying to live a religion, they say, I have to go to church or I'm not going to get to heaven. But see, Jesus changes our lives so all of a sudden we want to come to church. So if you don't want to come to church, if you don't want to sing praises to God, then you need to have an experience with God. Because when I become a Christian, man, I hated it when there wasn't any church. Man, my favorite time was when they had revivals because I got to go to church every single night. And you think, well, man, I have to get up and go to work, so die. I had to get up 4 o'clock in the morning. And our hours or services didn't, sometimes you wouldn't get home till midnight. So I'd go home and, man, I, would I be tired? Yeah, I'd be tired. And I'd say, God, help me through it. But, man, I'll tell you, come church time, man, I was ready to go again. Because it was such, oh, I love going to church. And I'm not saying it's going to always happen like that. Sometimes it's a gradual thing. But we have to do things, some things, whether we want to do them or not. And church is one of them. Not because we, we need it for salvation, but because we need the teaching. We need to be with God's people. We need the encouragement that we have with believers. You're not going to get it out there. You have to come to church to get it. We are a family. And if you don't like your family here, you're not going to like heaven because they're all going to be fanatics just like me. And you are too. I tell people that aren't Pentecostal in this life, I say, don't worry. As soon as you hit the, your feet hit those streets of gold, you're going to be Pentecostal. It's going to happen. You say, oh, wow, it's really true. Yay, yay. Doing cartwheels. I'm going to be able to do cartwheels. I don't know whether I will or not, but I would like to. You're going to see me doing down the street, like they do in gymnastics. So anyway, our life changes. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, the meek aren't the weak. It doesn't mean we're weak. We're stronger than the world. It means we're willingly obedient to God. When you become Christian, you want to obey what God says. You want to read his word. This word will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from reading this book. Amen. That's the reality of life. And I, I, I'm not saying that every time I read my Bible every morning that I want to do it. Sometimes I sit there and I say, man, I've got so many things to do, but I, you know, I try to do this first thing in the morning. So it doesn't matter if you have to struggle with that. That's okay. You do it anyway. Because your spirit person inside of us, that, that spirit's been born again, it sucks it up like a sponge. So whether it goes into here, it goes into here. So we need to do that. Next slide. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. After you become a believer and you want to obey God, there comes a hunger in your heart for more of God. You want to come to church every night if you could. You want to be with fellow Christians. You want to be believers. You want to, you want to pray. There's certain things that you want to do. And we have this hunger in our heart. Now, ultimately, when he comes and takes us home, or we die and we're in his presence, this will ultimately be filled. We will not be hungry anymore because we will be in the actual presence of God. Now that's exciting. Amen. Hallelujah. And we will be changed. And then blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. God has shown mercy to us. And when we have mercy shown in our life and Jesus lives within us, then his attributes kind of flows through us. And one of those is mercy. So all of a sudden we think, man, why aren't I mad at that person for what they did to me? God's mercy flowing through you. So that happens to us as believers. And these are progressive steps. Some people, you know, they're merciful right off the bat, but sometimes it's a progression. We have to, you know, work through those things. Uh, see, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart, when God lives with he lives within us. And our spirit man sucks up all that stuff that's going on that's going on in our life. But this is something we do. 
I don't always feel like doing what's right. So don't worry about that. If you don't feel like doing something you know is right, that's okay. That's our, that's our Ned that lives within us. You know, that's, that carnal man that sticks its ugly head up once in a while. And we have to say, no, I'm going to live by the Spirit. And the one that's stronger is the one we feed. If you want to be more spiritual, put, feed yourself more spirit food. Because if, if you don't, you're going to be carnal. So the nature that's going to be strong is the one we, uh, the one we feed. And, and we will, when we start doing what God wants us to do, and remember, something, God may tell you something you can do that I can't do. And there's some things I can't do that you can. So don't worry about that. I mean, unless it's black and white here. If it's black and white here, I don't have to pray about it. I've had people say, or heard of people that said, well, pastors, well, God told me to divorce my wife and marry that one over there. No, he didn't. It isn't in here. No, he will never tell you that. What God tells to you and speaks to you has to line up with his word. If it doesn't, it's not God. That's why you have to read it. So, but there are some, well, I call them gray areas, but the closer you get to God, those gray areas become more black and white. But there are some things that I can do that you can't, and some things you can do that I can't. So don't worry about that. Let God take care of it. If you think someone's doing something because you can't do it, it's a sin, pray for them. And pray for you that it won't bother you so much. Because God will take care of it. We spend so much time trying to worry about what our other people are doing or not doing. Amen. Well, we need to worry about what we're doing and what we're not doing. And remember, not doing something is just as much a sin as doing something. Absolutely. So if God wants you to do something and tells you to do it and you're not doing it, that's disobedience. And if we're, and God wants us to stop doing something, he told us to stop doing and we're doing it, that's disobedience. But the, God will deal with us individually, so don't worry about that kind of stuff. But when we do what God wants us to do, we become more, per, eventually we will be like him when we have a glorified body, and there will be not one thought of sin in our minds at that time. Oh, that's enough to get excited about, isn't it? I won't think about anything. And you say, well, you think about things that are bad? Yeah, I do. Do I do it on purpose? No. I don't try. I go, man, Randy's talking about me spiderwebbing. Well, that happens in my mind, too. All these things going through my mind, but I don't have to dwell on them. I can pick a, one of the spider webs from over here and not over here. So don't worry about it. If things come in your mind, that's, it's not a sin. It is if you dwell on it, if you sit there and think about it. And we'll, we do that sometimes. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Peacemakers are around and try to cause problems. We have too many of people in this world and in the church that they think it's God's gift to the world for them to cause trouble. That isn't God's will. It's so easy to avoid trouble sometimes if we just think about it. And so we, God has called us to be peacemakers. God, uh, Jesus came and died to make peace with us and God. He reached to heaven and, he can, and, and to man, and he, because of his death, we restored a relationship between us and God. Jesus made peace. And God wants us to make peace. And the peacemaker, the Prince of Peace, lives within us. So if there's a there's thing that we can do that doesn't cause strife, do it. And if you do something that mess things up, and I've done that. I've caused a lot of things that isn't, isn't of peace. And I have to apologize and all kinds of things. And I hate apologizing. But I do it because I know I've, I've messed up. So anyway, we need to do that, the peacemakers. For they will be called the sons of God. And remember, this is, God says, well, when we stand before him... He will acknowledge us if we've acknowledged God here on earth. If we're embarrassed by God, you're not a son of God. God says, if you, don't, if you deny me, I'll deny you. 
And this is what this verse is. I said we kind of read past this a lot of times. We called the Son of God. Now, don't worry, women. It doesn't mean that we're, we're out and left out here. So we didn't worry about that. We will be called children of God. This is when he's going to stand up and say, this is my child. That's exciting, isn't it? So he's going he's gonna to profess this to the Father. So, but today we're going to talk about the last beatitude, and it's Matthew 5, 10 through 12. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who, hum, who are, who, let's see where I'm at. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same manner they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now picture a Christian in so much pain that he slumps over in a semi-conscious state. The torturer puts down the pliers he's been using and throws a bucket of dirty water on the victim. The Christian shakes his head and moans. He has broken fingers, torn muscles, and burned flesh. The torturer tells him to deny his faith, renounce Christ, and all this unpleasantness will stop. He has suffered well. There's been no cursing, only mumbled prayers and screams when pain got too bad. The, Christians look through the, the Christian looks through his swollen eyelids and speaks for the, through his bleeding mouth. No, I will never deny my faith or Christ. Do what you will do, but hear this. Jesus is Lord. One day you too will bow and make the same confession. Amen. You know, we, we, we have a tendency to look, oh man, this is persecution. How many agree that this is persecution? And this kind of stuff is going, around, going along in our world today. There are Christians right now that are being persecuted to this degree. Sometimes it isn't a long drawn out process. Sometimes they just kill them. But this happens in our world. See, in America, we, we don't like to think about this, do we? We think, oh man, this isn't something I want to think about. But the reality is this is happening in our world today. Now I'm hoping that when God comes, he'll take us home before any of this happens here. But I don't know whether that's going to be the case or not. I'm praying for it. I'm praying that, that the world will stay in America, will be free, and will have freedom. And I'm praying that a revival will come to America once again and change the way that we're going. But it doesn't matter. I say, I've already decided it doesn't make any difference what goes on. I'm serving God. Amen. Now, if you haven't made up your mind, then somebody calls you, says something about you, and you're going to quit. Oh, man, why are you putting all this persecution on me? You have to have your mind made up. And I've got my mind made up. I've been in the world, and I've been, in, been a Christian, and believe me, the benefits of being a Christian, even in this world, are better than I ever had before I met Christ. I didn't have a peace in my heart. I didn't have all these, this, this spirit within me helping me live this life. And I don't want to go back. I wouldn't go back for nothing. It's not worth it. And that's hard for the world to understand, but as believers, we understand. Uh, Luke 14, 27. It's a... And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And John 16.33 out of the message says, I've told you all this so that trusting me you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace. In, these, in this godless world you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. Now we have a tendency in the, in the world we live today, we preach a gospel that's, oh, come to Jesus and everything's going to be fine. He's going to give you all the money you want. He's going to do all these things for us. And we look at all this stuff. But this isn't the gospel that was preached in the early church. When people come to Christ during this period of time, they knew it meant persecution. They knew that they weren't going to be the little darlings of society. 
Now, I, I've never heard an altar call of anybody that says, all right, how many people want to meet and come to meet Jesus, and you're going to be persecuted, and people are going to call you names, and people are going to do all these kind of things to you. How many people would come to our altars and accept Christ today? Not, as, not very many, would they? <laughs> and to a certain degree, uh, I'm not sure I would. <laughs> but see, when I come to Christ, I wanted him so bad. And he changed my life so bad, then all these things that I, that I found out that this possibility didn't matter to me. When you love someone, it doesn't matter. You go through the hardships because you love that person. So when God's love comes through us, all that stuff becomes second nature. It doesn't matter to us. We don't care. And Jesus said, take up a cross. Now, they knew what taking up a cross meant. And we know what it meant because he died on one. But see, now we say, come and meet Jesus and have all the money you want. Get the best job. Do all these other kind of things because you're God's little darlings. And that's true to a certain We are all those things. And God will meet all our needs. But he didn't promise that we would not have persecution. So we need to understand that as believers. Because otherwise, the first little wave of something happens, we're gone. Uh, Matthew 5.11 Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, persecution is not just physical. It can be emotional as well and verbal. Now, there's a lot of verbal abuse that goes on in this world. I'm as, as believers, we know that because that's more or less the, the persecution that we feel today as believers. We get more of this than the physical stuff that happens. And sometimes it's easier to recover from physical abuse than it is emotional abuse. We know that because of, of people that are all messed up. Because why? Because they were emotionally uh, abused. Parents, they call their kids, you idiot, you stupid idiot, you can't do anything right. That's just as harmful as if you smacked them in the face. Because it's an emotional pain. The physical stuff, like I said, they recover easier from, but that emotional stuff, that verbal abuse and that kind of stuff is harder for them to overcome. And it goes through them for the rest of their life. So they grow up thinking they're worthless. We need his parents need to tell him that, man, God loves you. You are special. You are the only one of a kind that God created. We need to do that for our children and build them up. Then they just automatically get there, especially if you have daughters, guys. If you have daughters, you tell them how beautiful they are and how God made them special and that God was created someone special for them. Because if you don't tell them, there's a guy out there willing to do it. And you don't want that. He wanted to say when they say, oh, you're so beautiful. He says, I know, my, God, my daddy always tells me that. Instead of saying, oh, you think I'm beautiful? You think I'm wonderful? Oh, man, I love you so much. We're in a mess just because of that. So we need to start doing that, doing that for our kids. Start giving them, uh, saying good things about them instead of always the negative stuff. Because the negative hurts, and it hurts for a long time. And God, the gospel is a yay and amen. So... Now, uh, in America, we really don't understand persecution. We really don't. We don't understand it, but the people in the, in the New Testament time did. Now, Jesus takes three verses to talk about persecution. He only used one on mercy and one on righteousness. So, the thing was very important. And he used additional two verses to talk about it. And um, so we need to understand that it isn't just physical abuse. is isn't just per persecution. In verse... Uh, Oh, 5.11, again, it says, Blessed are those who people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, persecution isn't every little thing that we have against us. Oh, I got a spiritual hangnail. Oh, I'm so persecuted. 
Oh, and I know some of you remember the old testimony services we used to have. They called them testimonies because all the people got it moaned. And they get up and say, oh, please pray for me. Oh, man, the devil's really been after me this week. I'm having such a bad day. Oh, please pray for me. That's a testimony. A real testimony is, praise the Lord, he's, he's come through for me, just like Susie said this morning. He healed that kid, and God's still in the healing business. That's a testimony. If you want to moan about everything that you're going through through the week, that's, not a, that's a moany. And God doesn't like the moanies, he likes the testimonies. And of course, the testimony is a test that you may be moaning about. But we need to understand that there's more than just physical abuse that is, is involved in persecution. Now, <clears throat> Christians are, who are made fun of, lied about, all these other kind of things that, that we face in this world are more or less the, the kind of use that we're going to suffer as Americans. Now, Jesus wasn't physically harmed until the night, night before he died, was he? But yet he was persecuted through his whole ministry. What kind of persecution did he, did he endure? Lying about him, verbally abusing him, trying to find ways to get him arrested, all these other kind of things he dealt with for three and a half years. See, we think, oh man, he had a life of ease while he was here. He did not. And there isn't a lot in there that we have to understand. If they persecute him, they're going to persecute us. They're going to do the same thing to, them that, to us that he did to them. Now, we may not die on a cross. We may not suffer the physical abuse that he did. But we are going to be persecuted if we're believers. We need to be honest with ourselves. But why would anybody want to persecute Jesus and his followers? Why would anybody hate someone so bad that wants to be like these Beatitudes? They have a good attitude. They think of all the best thoughts. They try to be peacemakers. You know, their lives are different. They do what's right. They do what's good. They don't do... They don't, they're not the ones that's getting thrown in jail. They're not the ones that's breaking the law. So why do they hate them so bad? They hate them because it makes them, uh, they get convicted about their sin. That's the problem. See, we as believers, when we come in the presence of a sinner, they get convicted. So instead of them wanting to admit it's them, they think it's you. You're the problem. If I can just get rid of you, I'll be fine. And that's why we suffer the things that we suffer. Now, not every person that suffers persecution can claim they are persecuted for righteousness. We like to think we are, but the reality is a lot of persecution we bring on ourselves. We hate to admit it, but that's the truth. You look in the mirror and you see your biggest enemy you have is staring back at you. Amen. Man, I'll tell you, that person is my enemy, my biggest number one enemy. If I could just get that person out of the way, even if it's an old woman I look at in the mirror every morning. I don't know, I don't know what happened to that young person I used to see, but they're not there anymore. Some old woman jumps up ahead of that person and, and that's who I see. I'd like to just tie her up so it wouldn't happen, but, but anyway. <laughs> now these verses don't say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are odd. They don't say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are obnoxious. These verses don't say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are self-righteous. These verses don't say, blessed are those who are persecuted because of their in-your-face evangelistic approach. See, we cause a lot of persecution on ourselves because that's, our, that's the way we try to share Christ. We don't do it in love. We just want to beat them down. We're Bible thumpers. We think we beat them out of the Bible enough with it with that they're saved. But that isn't the way Jesus did. When he started using harsh language toward the religious people, it was toward the religious, not... 
He loved the sinners. Why do they want to be around Jesus? Because he loved them. I meant to the, to the people of the world and, and the sinners of the world, do they want to be around you because you love them? Or are you too busy beating them over the head with the Bible and say, you know, if you're a Christian, you would have a job. If you're a Christian, you'd have money in the bank. If you're a Christian, you wouldn't be sick. That's kind of the gospel that we preach sometimes. But Jesus came and he says, you love them. They will know you by our love, not by what we say out of our mouth. It'd be nice if it worked that way sometimes. Man, I'll tell you, I could get all kinds of people saved if I could do that. Because, man, I got a mouth that just won't stop. Oh, he's out of here. He won't say that. <laughs> so, you know, I got to get my 35,000 words. Of course, I need 50,000 words a day. And I didn't get a lot of them in this week, so you guys are in trouble this morning. Because the new day starts tomorrow. But anyway, so we get ourselves in a lot of jams because of this thing. Said so if we can control this, we got a problem. And God can take care of this. He can take care of anything. We think that, oh man, if I could just, if I just didn't want to drink so bad, if I just wasn't addicted to alcohol or drugs, I'd be okay. Well, that isn't your biggest bondage. Your biggest bondage is right here. If God can control this, life will be a lot easier because we cause more problems for ourselves than the devil ever did. You say, oh man, no, not. Look at everything that's happened in your life and go back and re relive it in your mind and say, you know, I did that myself. Now, we don't mean to do it. I'm not saying we do it on purpose. But I, I pray, God, give me that second to think about what comes out of this mouth. And God has done a wonderful work in my life. You think I'm bad now? You should see me back then. Because I didn't care. I just said it. I was like my mom. I was my mama's daughter. But thank God Jesus changed me. And now, well, sometimes it comes out of my mouth. But then I have to go chase it down with an apology. So I said, God, I don't like to apologize. Help me control it. Because only God can control it. But he can control it only if I give it to him. So, <clears throat> so but persecution is usually an inside job. So look in the mirror, and you'll find out. Uh, Matthew 5.12. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. We don't like this part of this verse. But see, we think, we have a tendency to think it's strangers that are going to persecute us. It's people we don't know that's going to bother us. But what does this verse say? I don't know what it says. It says the persecutor, persecutors in, that Jesus was talking about, they weren't the Babylonians. They weren't the Philistines. They weren't the Egyptians. They weren't the Romans. Who were they? They persecuted the prophets, his own people. God's own people were the ones that persecuted the prophets, fellow Israelites, people in their neighborhood, people, people of their family and friends. They were the ones doing the persecution. And this shocks us. We think, we expect the world to persecute us, but we don't expect that persecution to come for our people what we love and know, do we? And when it happens, it, it knocks us for a loop. But Jesus tells us this for us to know that persecution isn't just going to come from strangers. It's going to come from people that you know. People that you worship with, maybe. That's when it's hard to take. Who persecuted Jesus? It wasn't, it wasn't the world that denied him. Well, the world denied him. But it was the disciple is the one that denied him and turned him in and betrayed him. One of the closest people he knew that was in, his, in this world was his disciples. 
They were in that circle that all of us want to be in. Well, they, when you become a Christian, guess what? You're there. And it was one of those that betrayed him. And that was hard. Can you imagine Jesus' heart breaking when Judas comes and he kisses him as he's denying him? Man, that would be hard. I've had, you know, of course, so-called friends do things to you. Have you? Have you had friends hurt you? I harder to deal with. It would be easier for someone that you didn't know to, to accept if they denied you, if they, they persecuted, if they betrayed you. But people that you know, people that you love, people in your own family. So we, Jesus is telling us, hey, you need to know this. Because if you don't, it'll catch you by surprise and it may destroy you. So Jesus is telling us. He said, he, Jesus didn't hide everything. He came out and he put it right front and center. He says, you want to follow me? Take up your cross and follow me. This is what it's going to cost you. If you're not willing to do that, then don't come. Because if something can get you to keep to deny Christ, it will happen, I guarantee it. But you have to have your mind made up. Jeremiah suffered at the hands of his fellow prophets, the king and his neighbors. Moses' bigger problem wasn't with the Egyptians, it was the, his own people. They were the ones that gave him the most grief. Not the world. So we're going to have problems among, in, in the church, in the body of believers. Now I'm not saying just this church, I'm talking about the body of believers for church. You know the word church isn't in the Bible? How many know that? The word we get, the Greek word we get uh, church from is called ecclesia. And ecclesia means called out ones. So we are the called out ones and we call it the church. Not a religion, remember it's not a religion, it's a relationship. So, but we need to understand that some of that gossip that we've heard about, people said about us, could come from people that you know, people that you love. So beware, Jesus is telling you. Now, I'm not trying to make, him, make anybody paranoid. Say, oh, looking for demons behind every tree. Oh, no, looking at you. Look at all these people here. They're all out to get me. That isn't what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to make us aware that we are going to have persecution in this world. And Jesus is trying to tell us this. Don't be surprised. Because he wants you to live for him. He doesn't want you to, to get, get caught off guard because that's a hard thing to do. <clears throat> now Christians have been, Christianity has been around a long time to be de domesticated. See, we've domesticated Christianity in our world today, especially in the United States. We've snipped and we've cut and we've pruned and we've done all these other kind of things to the gospel because we get rid of, we don't like the uh, gospel that confronts. We tell uh, people about a Jesus that confronts sin. They don't like that, so we're going to snip that out of there because we want to be saved, so we're going to take this out. So we've domesticated everything, we've sanitized, and we've gotten rid of all the stuff that keeps people from accepting Christ. Well, guess what? Just because we think it ain't going to happen doesn't mean that God's going to listen to our, our words and not let it happen. Just because I try to tell, you may try to tell people, you know, if you come to Jesus, there's not going to be any thorns on your rose bush. I guarantee you, you're going to have thorns on your rose bushes. Jesus didn't take away the thorns. And we, we try to get people to come to God. Oh, if you can just come to God. Because we think that if we can just get them saved, then God will, God will tell them all that other kind of stuff. But see, we're lying to people when we do that. Now, are lives better? Yeah, lives are better. I tell people that Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to make you happy. Only We can only be happy as a Christian. There's people that, that try, to, try to think that they're happy, but true happiness only comes through Christ. That's, that's simple as that. 
The world may think they're happy, but I never knew I wasn't happy until I found Jesus, and then I knew I wasn't happy. I'm happy now. That's why I would never go back. But we've, we've taken all the things out of there that's offensive to the world, and we've replaced it with a warm and fuzzy religion that's always comforts. Oh, it's warm and fuzzy. You know, that isn't the gospel. The gospel has persecution in it. We need to make sure that we understand that. Now, life-changing Christianity has been institutionalized, sanitized, and sterilized. We've taken out everything that may offend somebody. If we're not careful, we'll settle into a Christianity whose prime directive is don't rock the boat, let sleeping Christians lie, go through the motions, do the bare minimum, discourage zeal in any form, and bless it all the harmless. Now, Jesus offended a lot of people when he was on this world. And it was usually the, re the religious people that were offended. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were the ones that were offended. And he was taking their congregation, so they wanted to get rid of him. That's why they didn't like him. He was taking all their congregation. And there are a lot of churches here in, the, in this religions, or whatever you call it, not necessarily in this area, but in other areas of the world, that's all they care about. Oh, man, our members are going over there. Well, you can't, you can't chase ministries. If you start chasing ministries, you will never be happy. You just find a place, and you start going there and be faithful. Now, there's reasons uh, if, if the doctrine's bad, don't go there. I quit a church because the doctrine was bad. And I did everything I could dealing with the pastor and that, talking to him about it, and wondering, where in the world did you get that from? Didn't care. His belief system overrode what God said, so goodbye. But we need to be faithful to God. The Beatitudes are, are, and those who practice them threaten cardinal Christianity. See, if you want to serve God and be on fire for God, you're going to offend not only the world, you're going to offend people that just want just barely get in. I just want to get in. I just don't want to go to hell. I'm just going to barely get in. But I'm not going to do anything. True Christians are people that are on fire for God. There, they threaten that kind of Christian. Because Jesus said that I'd rather have you be hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm going to puke you out of my mouth. You know, that, that's not a pleasant thought. Well, I don't want Jesus throwing up with me. <laughs> so we want to be hot. Now, if you want to be cold, uh, that's between you. You know, that's your decision. But God wants you to be hot. Not lukewarm. Not just see how much, how close I can get to the world without, and still make it to heaven. That is what God's called you to do. He called you to jump in with both feet because someday God's going to, you know, when you think about it, say, how long can I tread fire? Because that's the choice. I don't want to be treading fire. So the Beatitudes won't allow us for the status quo. You can't live an everyday life. Your life will change drastically if you do. And the Beatitudes turns everyone and everything upside down. That's why we have a problem with the world. That's why the disciples who take the that is seriously should expect to be persecuted. If you're just a lukewarm Christian and you just go out of church, and the devil won't bother you. You go to church and say, I've done my duty for the week. I'm okay now. He won't bother you about that. He, he don't care if you go to church. He just don't want you getting saved and getting on fire for God. That he hates. And he wants to do everything he can to see that that doesn't happen. But as believers, I want to be on, as on fire for God as I can. I want to get so close to, the, to, the, to God that 
if, if like Elijah, when, when they threw somebody, when he died and they threw a dead man in there, they touched his bones and life came back into him. That's what I want. I want so much of God in me that if someone touches me, that they can feel it. And you say, well, that kid doesn't happen. Yes, it does. I've heard it over and over again. That somebody came to church one time and, and, and they got so excited about God and they, they started dancing in the aisle and stepped on this sinner's toes. And, and the person that brought them is embarrassed. But what was it this, that guy got saved, but why? He got saved because he said, when that woman stepped on my toe, I had a fire burn through me and I want whatever it is she has. So don't worry about that. If you want to bring someone to church, I don't care if they won't get embarrassed. I don't care. Say, oh, man, I can't come in. Their pastor gets too, too excited and round up and I scare them off. I mean, <laughs> but I guarantee you there's going to be something different when they come. So don't worry about it. God takes care of that. Now, Jesus warns us that practicing the Beatitudes, we do it at our own risk. The closer we get to God, people are going to cause problems for us. They're going to roll their eyes. I say, oh, you're Jesus thing. I remember when I got saved and, and I was on fire for God, and my dad told me, he says, Sandra, you've got to quit this church stuff. It's the best thing that ever happened to you, meaning Randy. And I said, I don't care. God's more important to me. If I have to lose everything, I will. I'll lose that to keep Jesus. And he was shocked. But he realized when he, got, when he got saved that he, he knew what I was talking about. It doesn't matter. Take away my earthly gain. Take everything away but give me Jesus. And when you become a believer and you have that in your heart, then I guarantee you the world will notice. And they will either be drawn to God or all of a sudden you will be on the outs. <laughs> Matthew 10, 36. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. That's what's hard for us to take. And we know in the tribulation time, it says that family is going to be turning against family members, parents against kids, kids against their parents. They do that today in other parts of the world. When somebody in a Muslim household gets saved, the family turns them in. And they, would, they will kill them before let, uh, allowing that embarrassment to happen to them and dishonor them. That happens. Well, in the tribulation period of time, it's going to happen. Bible says so, but don't worry, if you're a believer, you won't be here. So, but amazing thing about it, the Bible and the gospel goes like wildfire in, through persecution. The church grew. How did the church grow? In persecution. Because I guarantee you, if people are, are willing to live this life knowing what it's going to cost, the people are going to take up a notice. If you're just living a religion, hey, I'll deny a religion. Not to be persecuted, but I can never deny Christ because he lives within me. And I know there's a difference. Persecution usually has a certain progression that it happens, that it takes. First of all, they start by making fun, to, fun of you. They use you as the bun of their jokes. Now, I know this will be true, and I've had this happen in my life. But uh, when they're in a problem, you're the first one to look for to pray for them. And if making fun of you doesn't work, they'll try insulting you. And they'll, they'll start doing things and questioning your motives and, and tell you the only reason that you're, you're obnoxious. You're lost your intelligence. You have no intelligence about you. You're arrogant. And so when that don't work, then they'll try to slander you and label, label you a fanatic and dangerous. If slander doesn't work, they'll try rejection and make us feel like an outsider and unwelcome. If, if we still persist in our Christian pursuit, then they'll decide to punish you. If punishment doesn't make us conform, they will try to destroy you. 
That's what they did to the disciples. That's what they did to Jesus. Because the gospel convicts people of their sin. Sometimes you don't have to say a word. You just get in their presence. And, and the, they can sense it. They don't know what it is. They don't know why they hate your guts. All they know is when they're around you, they don't like you. Well, it's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. And, and so if people don't like you, you say, man, I don't know why they don't like me. I never did anything to them. That's what it is. So don't worry about it. God will take care of it. But um, that's what they did to the disciples. The question isn't whether we'll be persecuted, but how we'll respond to it when it occurs. So you have to decide. I've decided it doesn't matter what happens in this world. I'm going to serve God. Whether they make fun of me, whether they call me names, and they will. They'll do it, I guarantee it. They'll roll your eyes at you. Oh, man, they've got their Jesus thing. And that's what they said about me when I got saved because we had some good friends of ours and uh, they've been here once. Uh, we've known them 30, over 35 years. They've been our best friends. And I got saved first. And then all of a sudden, they didn't like me. They wanted Randy to leave me home. Because I wasn't fun anymore. And so they sit there and they didn't, you know, they just tolerated me because of Randy. Everybody likes Randy, right? <laughs> but sooner, as I progressed, I didn't give up. It didn't matter to me. I wasn't going to give up on God because to, be, to remain good friends. And then the, the husband got saved. And then his wife. And Randy was the last one. And they figured I'd get over my Jesus thing. Well, guess what? I never did. And because I did this thing, they thought, man, there, maybe there's something to this. And then God dealt with them. But if you are, are ashamed of God and you aren't willing to stand up for God, how are they ever going to get saved? If they don't like you, okay. I'll, I'd rather go to heaven than have people in this world like me, wouldn't you? So there are three options we can have when facing persecution. We can back down. A lot of people do that. We can retaliate. Some people do that. Or we can be glad, which is what Jesus told us to do. Now, we don't like that verse. How in the world can you be glad when people are making fun of you and persecuting you verbally? And maybe they're, maybe in some, some parts of the world, it's physical abuse. So Jesus isn't trying to, ma to minimize the pain of being persecuted. He's not trying to do that. He's not trying to be absurd about it. He's just telling us it's going to happen. Because the world, when they see you, they know that they have to change. And they don't like it. So they're angry at you. They're not angry at themselves. They're angry at you. And everybody loves to blame somebody else for their problems, don't we? So it's going to happen. <clears throat> but when we're persecuted, it's validation of our faith and an opportunity to display it. We can rejoice when persecuted because this suffering says something about our character and provides an opportunity for our character to shine. If we're, not, if we're so sold out to God that no one can chase us away no matter what they do, they're going to look at it seriously. John 15, 20. If, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. I don't know why people are surprised when they're persecuted, because it's a given. If you read the Bible, it's going to tell you it's going to happen. So expect it. Don't be surprised. So many people turn their back on God because they come to God and they find out they're in a situation in their life, a trial happens or a problem happens. And they say, oh, I don't think this is going to happen. I can afford it. I don't like this. Don't be surprised, because it will happen. Not when, not if, but when. James 1, 2 and 4. 
Oh, what did I miss the other one? Go to the next one. Oh, I got to. Oh, okay. I got it. Okay, go back. One more. I must add three scriptures on that one. Back one more. I didn't put it on there. Anyway, I'll read it anyway. Romans 5.3 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now this word that is, it ain't up there, but it's in here. You look it up when you get home. Hope is the Greek word elpes, something like that. It means to anticipate, usually with pleasure, expectation, abstract or concrete, or confidence. Faith, hope. Hope is not just studying for a final and hoping for an A. It's faith. It's a belief. It's something that you know that you know that you know is going to happen. You, those of you who have a job, you work, and then you get paid. You don't pay and then work. Because if they did it like that, nobody would show up for work, would they? So that's what hope is, according to the, what the Bible is thinking. It means we have an expectation, and we're anxious about it. So when you're persecuted, I'm anxious because I know that God is going to reward me for it. And I don't have to worry about it. God's in control. Now the next one, Matthew 5.12. Rejoice and be glad in Luke 6.23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Whoa! When you're being persecuted, dance around the house because it's exciting. No, I won't be dancing all around the house, but that's what God says we can. Now, we can't understand this in the natural. It doesn't make any sense to us. But in the spiritual, we do. So when you, if we just trust God in that, we may not be laughing on the outside, but our, our spirit is praising God on the inside because it validates our faith. If they didn't persecute you, they didn't say things about you, then you might be worried. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 2.9. No ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We have no idea what God has in store for us. We can't even comprehend it with our minds. But that we're going to be so rewarded for it, whatever we go through, it's worth it. I guarantee it. Serving God is worth it. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. And Jesus pay, pay, pays, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. More than we could ever ask or think. That's what God does. Now, when we suffer for Christ, then our reward is great, and we're in great company. We get to rock those aisles, Moses and David and Paul and all the disciples. And, you know, it's a great, going to be a great time. And, and you don't want to miss it. Now, the Earthly Church believed it was a great honor to die for Christ. And because they believed this, they didn't go. They didn't run. They stood there. And now, I'll tell you, that was a great, great thing that they wanted. Everybody wanted to die for Christ. I don't want to die for Christ. I want to live for Christ. It was Patton that said, let the other guy die for their country, you live for yours. Now, there are going to be martyrs. There's martyrs in this world today who die for Christ. And if, if you're in a position like that, God will give you the grace to do it, the empowerment to do it. But it's easier to die for Christ than it is to live for him. That'll make sense one day. Because the world, the emotional things that we deal with the world is hard on us. So don't live for God. You want a great reward? Live for God. And if there comes a time in your life when you have to die for it, you will have the power to do it and it won't bother you one little bit because it didn't bother them. And I'll tell you, they suffered persecution. They used to dip those Christians in tar or oil and put them on a pole and light them on fire. 
That isn't something I look forward to. But that's the reality of the world they lived in. But God gave them the grace, and they thought it was such a privilege to do that. Or get thrown in with the lions. That was a privilege to do so. I have a privilege to live for God, and so do you. And God will give you the grace to live the life you're living, to, to get through all the persecution you're going through right now. If people are making fun of you, that's okay. God's going to give you the grace to do it. And grace means an empowerment. God will empower you to do it. But don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on keeping off. Because great is your reward in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm thankful for your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord, I'm thankful for every person here this morning. And I know, Lord, that maybe some of them are going through some kind of persecution in their lives. From their family members or from the community or whatever it might be. I pray, Lord, that you just infuse in them a desire for more of you. Knowing that you are going to meet the needs of their hearts and their lives. And it won't matter what they go through. They're still going to live for you. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want in their life. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>